Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to all of our listeners. Uh, in case you didn't know, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists uh, who cover all sort of weird and quirky aspects of the automotive industry and sometimes the more mundane things as well. But we like to talk more about the former than the latter. Isn't that right, Ben? That is a convoluted way of describing what we do. <laughs> well, I'm always trying to stretch out our introductions every week, and I think I'm doing a good job of it this time. Um, we have a lot of really fun stuff to talk to you about this week and some interesting discussions, I think, on some cool sports cars. So let's get started, Ben. What have you been driving uh, lately? Well, I don't know if what I'm driving falls into the category of cool. Uh, in fact, that's probably not a good description because okay, wait. It, if you just distill it, though, to its prime aspect, it sounds like a cool sports car. Well, well, the idea sounds cool. <laughs> Absolutely. But the execution leaves a lot to be desired. And I'm speaking, of course, about the Fiat 124 Spider. Nothing makes me feel better than just having three numbers um, denote the name of a vehicle. Well, you know, that's not the problem for me because the 124 has a lot of history for Fiat. They've been making vehicles with these three particular numbers in that sequence for decades. The issue for me is... They're not making it anymore. <laughs> they're certainly not making it anymore. And what I mean by that and what Sammy means by that is that this is actually a Mazda Miata with a different engine and a reworked front and rear end. So what you're getting... I, I guess they just figured that Fiat needed a roadster to be competitive in, in North America because everyone's buying roadsters. <laughs> and uh, they had a deal with Mazda. Mazda builds the vehicle and Fiat supplies the engine. And the end result is uninspiring. Okay, so there's a lot of really important things to talk about here. The Mazda MX-5, as I understand it, this is through a conversation with uh, some of their project planners uh, sorry, they're product planners and uh, engineers. The MX-5 would not exist if it wasn't for the investment by FCA uh, or Fiat. They needed the the Fiat interest in order to make the the MX-5. And I, I, I think that has a lot to do with why this car exists. Because Fiat needs, uh, I think Fiat needs mainstream cars and not niche convertibles. <laughs> I do you think that? I don't well, know. Well, I think that if I was a if I owned a Fiat dealership, I don't know how long has it been since Fiat's been back with the 500 because those dealerships popped up, they got the 500 and then they got another version of the 500 and then they got another version of the 500 and those two other versions were bigger and not really that great. The the mm -hmm. the XL or the sorry, the 500L and the 500X mm -hmm. and I would be kind of pissed off if I was one of those dealerships. And then they come along with this 124 Spider, which is essentially a warmed-over Miata, which is not a bad place to start. I mean, I'm more of a fan of the previous generation Miata. I think that something was lost in translation in the current version. But I will say this. The existing Miata, the MX-5, is much more fun and engaging to drive than the Fiat 124. And almost all of that lies uh, at the feet of the drivetrain in the Fiat. Okay, so this is really interesting. Um, you say that the old, so if we're going to generations one, two, three, four, there's four generations of uh, MX-5s. I'm actually, I had to count that on my hand. Um, <laughs> they, uh, the, the third generation Miata and the fourth generation Miata was a very interesting change. Um, and some of the aspects, I don't know if you knew this, but some of the, the actual transmission from the third generation MX-5 is in the Fiat. It is, it is, because the... Fiat motor, which is a 1.4 liter turbocharged four, makes a lot more torque than the existing Mazda Miata's motor. It, it's 184 pound-feet. Wow. Yeah. Well, 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 it's not exactly a wow. I mean, that's actually that. I think that's pretty impressive. The normal MX-5 makes 150, I think, at the most, maybe yeah, 145. But this is. Let, let's not dress it up. This is an economy car motor that has been in a number of different FCA products. And it, it, in general, it's a pretty good choice for a lot of those products. I believe you can get it in the Jeep Renegade. You could get it in the Dart when the Dart still existed. <laughs> um, it the, the issue is, in a sports car, there's, there's a few problems uh, with how it delivers that power. And the thing that I've noticed the most driving the car around this week is that if you don't nail the revs exactly right on a gear change, you end up with nothing. And I mean wet, floppy, noodle, nothing, barely moving the car. And where I'm noticing it the most is throttle tip in when I'm making a sharp corner 
uh, just around town. So if I go from first to second gear, it feels like mm. I'm short shifting all the time because I end up with nothing once I hit that second gear. And the weird thing is the torque is available fairly low in the power band. So mm-hmm. I'm not understanding exactly why that's happening. But even if you push beyond that, if you rev the engine high like you would in a sports car or in a Miata, there's no mm-hmm. real reward. Um, it bears mentioning, too, that I'm driving the Abarth or Abarth. I think it's Abarth. I always say it wrong and I always <laughs> get corrected. So please at me and correct me on my pronunciation. But... This is supposed to be the sportiest model of the vehicle. It gets another four horsepower, so it's 164 Ooh. horses. I know. Whoa! Thanks for uh, thanks for opening things up for us. Yeah, <laughs> that's a gr- four horsepower. It gets. Wow. I it, gotta I gotta go tell my friends about this. Got that, four horsepower. That won't take long. He he has a limited circle, but um, the it comes with the extra horsepower. You get a limited slip rear differential, and you get quad exhaust tips and a freer flowing sport exhaust. I am all for a sport exhaust on this car. If it did anything at all to enhance the experience. Four more horsepower, didn't you hear me? You get the four horsepower, but I mean, remember the Fiat 500 Abarth, which has no exhaust system whatsoever? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. It's a, it's, it's, it's a one, did I say 1.6 or 1.4? I'm sure I said 1.4. Anyway, right. it's yep. the same engine, basically. Yeah. 1.4 liters. There's no exhaust system. There's just, there's just pipes. There's no mufflers. I don't even know if there's a resonator. There's a catalytic converter and that's it. And they're so loud. They're loud it and sounds obnoxious. Like a little, it sounds like a little muscle car. It's really funny to watch this thing tootle around town because this tiny little Fiat 500, and I mean the 500, the actual little small little compact car, the city car that like looks goofy. And then it just makes... So much noise, and you just you can't help but giggle. It, it's the like a chain. It's like a chainsaw with four wheels and a roof. Yeah, the one two four could really benefit from that much sound. right? It doesn't get any sound at all, and that's what's so surprising to me because I'm used to this Fiat tuning being over the top. And you know, if the if the car was louder, I'd probably be more forgiving of it because that's how I am, and I recognize that that's how I am. And a big part of me needs that that oral engagement. Uh, I need my ears. Yeah, I need my ears to be a big part of the driving process, especially I, in a roadster with the top down. But I I'm don't not. Need you, I don't. Hold up, my listeners. I'm what Ben means to say when he says oral engagement. Is you're not making it weird it, just by explaining not it. What you think it is? But, no, you, but anyways, let's keep people are turning off their iPods as we speak because you creep them are out. Are you kidding me? Oral engagement. The way you say keep oral engagement. Keep saying it, Sammy. Keep saying it. <laughs> we'll just bring in the subscribers. I'm sure of it. We'll check. Just check next week. If the subscribers don't go up, I don't know. I'll say I won't say oral engagement anymore. I, I sincerely hope that you never say it again. <laughs> In any case, in any case, I, I feel like I'm kind of really, you know, shoveling onto this car, but I really wanted to give it a chance. And you know what's weird is when I first saw the Fiat 124, and I don't know if anyone out there has seen it, we're going to have some pictures up on the uh, on the site where you can check out uh, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. When you listen to the podcast, you can see what the car looks like. They didn't do a very graceful job of making it look like a Fiat. It's very clearly a nose job and a tail job. When I first saw the car a year ago... I, I thought it was hideous. I legit did not like it at all. But the weird thing is, now that I've been driving it, I'm kind of more into it. Okay. I don't think it's hideous. I do think it's a little generic in its in that front. It's just two headlights and a, and a grill. It's like it has it has almost no style. Well, the um, Abarth has a hand-painted black hood and black trunk. <laughs> hand-painted. What does that matter? First I, it's, of all, I hate that because it makes the hood – and the, it, it makes it look like – actually – are 124 spiders like old 124 spiders? Have you ever seen one with a mismatched body panel? Like, because that's the only way you can find parts for it. Maybe this wow. is the Wow, I thought I was harsh on FCA here, but you're really you're really sticking it to Sergio. He's not listening. I really <laughs> hope he's not listening. Um, well, you know, I, I wanted to like this vehicle because mm-hmm. the idea the, – here's what we always hear every time someone comes out with a Miata. Oh, it doesn't have enough power. It's not it's not enough power. It needs more power. And as an FRS owner, I know you've also heard these same kind of claims. Right. And what we ended up with was a Fiat version of the Miata that has more power and yet isn't more engaging to drive. This is really important um, because I thought that, you know, I thought a turbocharged engine could really work wonders. But you prove what can go wrong with a turbocharged engine. And I've had this experience with the a launcher sport a couple of weeks ago it can fall flat at the high end of the rev range there's no reward for for you pushing it it just like disappears the power of the engine is just like i'm done now please change gears and then 
in some cars, when you change gears, you end up in this really dull, flat spot where nothing, like when you when you upshift, suddenly there's no reward there either. So you're just stuck with this engine that just works in the mid range and is not for really driving hard in the way that a sports car should be. I, mean, I think that really speaks to the fact that you can't necessarily put together a sports car from a parts bin. You need mm-hmm. to. It's it's a package. It's an overall experience. And I understand that FCA has financial issues which preclude the development of unique platforms right now but that aren't named jeep i (laughs) i have to think that there was a better drivetrain solution for this vehicle Uh, ultimately it doesn't matter it's going to be a low volume vehicle whether it's good or whether it's bad i'm not saying it's a bad vehicle i'm just disappointed in it and i didn't want to be disappointed in it so if you were to pick this over one of the MX-5s, either the MX-5 or the MX-5RF, which is the hardtop model, would you would you ever, if you had to pick one of these cars, would it be the Fiat ever? It, no, never. It would be the, the standard MX-5. I, I like the soft, MX- The soft top. Yes, I like the MX-5 a lot. I don't like the steering. I think mm-hmm. the steering really lost something in the transition to electric, mm-hmm. uh, the electrical assist. But um, it's clearly a more enjoyable car than the Fiat because... Um, it's just more rewarding to drive. It, it, when you push it hard, you get that that feedback from the car that it kind of wants to be there. And when you shift the vehicle, you get the feeling that the entire package was tuned to provide you a, with a, a fun experience, regardless of where you were in the rev range, or at the very least, the, the, the ratios in the transmission were designed to keep you in the fun, the fun spot as long as possible. And I'm not getting that impression from the Fiat. And so I have two questions. Um, if you had never driven an MX-5, the new MX-5, would you still be have been impressed with this car? Is it just fundamentally not strong? Is that what you is that like? It's not a strong Fun- product. Fundamentally, it's not a strong product. Mm-hmm. I think in in contrast to the Miata, it looks a lot worse than it probably is. Okay. Uh, there because are the Miata not- is a great base. I mean, it's a great place to start. And if you were to be generous and very and very blasé about, I just want a car that looks like that has a drop top and you know, has a motor, a power, a turbo powertrain. <laughs> what, what, what is this super, super minimalistic, <laughs> yeah. like, list of needs in a car? I need, <laughs> the top has to, it needs a motor, okay? <laughs> don't try and screw me out of the motor, guys. I know you're going to try it. I know, don't look at me like that. You're uh, right, you're right. But, okay. But the thing is, like, it's, <laughs> it's 25 grand, right? That's where it mm-hmm. starts, ostensibly. Uh, I think it's more realistically a $30,000 car once you get the options that you want. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly spend a lot more than that if you want to go full range Abarth like I'm driving. But uh, there's nothing really else that's convertible around there that's going to give you a similar kind of – well, there's certainly no Roadster at that mm-hmm. price. So the, it's it's a market of two vehicles which happen to be the same vehicle with different execution. And if you could quickly fix this car, what would it be? What would the, what would the solution be? It would be a different engine. A different engine altogether. Yeah, and I, I'm i racking my brain, and I can't think of anything in the FCA shed that would do the job um, necessarily. I don't know if the 2.4-liter four-cylinder or the quote-unquote Tiger Shark would would be a good fit. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I've never That's driven... also a very economy-feeling engine as well, yeah, right? Yeah, I've never driven the Tiger Shark in an, in an aggressive way because most of the time it's in a in an, in an SUV. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a tough that's a tough problem, right? That's that's something they can't quite uh, get right. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, if you want to buy, if you want a cheap cruiser, I mean, cheap. I don't mean cheap as in build quality. I mean, an affordable cruiser. Like, if you just want a car that you take out and drive on on the on the weekends, and you want to pop the top and feel the wind in your hair, sure. If you like the styling more than the Miata and you don't really care about sporty performance, you might be okay with this vehicle. Interesting. At that, at that price range. I mean, you have no other options. So by, by all means, drive it if you're interested in it. Uh, just because I happen to have this opinion doesn't mean you will. It's really important when you bring up the uh, the Fiat and the car that's related to the MX-5. Both um, the Mazda, actually Mazda in particular, their their vision, their icon is the that Roadster. And for them to give it away in a Fiat form is very interesting. Um, and I think that that's really a bizarre thing that I, I wouldn't have expected in the past. But well, it's, now it's nowadays, reality. Right? Yeah, nowadays small car small car companies have to do what they can to keep uh, to stay in business. Um, 
I have something uh, that's kind of – I'm trying to make it – I was trying to actually make a really good segue, but I don't think I can pull it off. Um, I drove the iconic car from the Porsche brand this past weekend, uh, the 911, in the same way that the – say the MX-5 would be to the Mazda. Nobody can think of Porsche without actually coming up with the 911. Um, I drove the 4S model, a $130,000 version of, or $160,000 spec of it um, with the PDK, and we drove it all around – uh, Nova Scotia on the some of the best roads I've ever been on in my life. It's called the Cabot Trail, and uh, it was a really cool experience. I believe the Cabot Trail is on Cape Breton. Is that correct? That's right. And uh, one of the interesting things here is this was not in the sense of the word of a, a media drive. This is actually a customer experience that was I was invited to join in on. So people basically can dump, uh, give give twelve thousand dollars to Porsche. They will, and as a result, Porsche will give them a hotel, uh, accommodations, and um, food and dinner, as well as this car for the about seven days, ten or how, seven how, days. How many thousand dollars? Twelve thousand dollars for this experience, and that okay. doesn't include airfare to the starting point and from the. Uh, ending point, which was so, in Toronto and in Halifax. Total uh, total sidebar here. Did you know that they're, uh, the largest concentration of Gaelic speakers in the world is in Cape Breton? Uh, you know what? There's a lot of uh, bilingual signs when we were driving around there, so I definitely see that happening. My, but, uh, uh, my great-grandfather spoke fluent Gaelic. You know what? My girlfriend knows Gaelic as well. Well, she knows Irish. Ah, Irish is, is not the same thing. It's, it's a bit it's... different, yes. Um, but anyways, uh, digression aside... Let's talk about this car. What do you want to know about this 911? Well, I don't know, Sammy. Why don't you tell me what you want to tell me about the 911? I have a tough time really getting super enthusiastic about the 911, and that's really weird because it is a really good car. It's a really good sports car um, with a new 3-liter flat 6 that's been twin-turbocharged to make 420 horsepower in this spec. It's a blazing fast car. It does 0 to 16 under 4 seconds. Um, it's... Full of the, you know, the Sport Chrono, which means that there's different, uh, or this, it had the Sport Chrono package, which means there's different driver modes, and there's like a little, like, uh, dial on the steering wheel, kind of like a race car, that allows you to switch those modes very easily. There's yeah, even I've... a little button on the on that dial that's like a push-to-pass kind of thing, and it just immediately triggers the, the most immediate sporty response to get you pushing. About that button... Talk to me. I, I am not a fan. Um, that So the, the controls that you're talking about, they used to be – so I don't know if our, our listeners are f- familiar with Porsche's design. On the interior, they love buttons, and specifically they love buttons on the center console. If you look at vehicles like the Cayenne or the Panamera, it's Button City. It's it's a huge it's, – it's like a Honda Odyssey, <laughs> but, but, but fancier. Like right. uh, Honda was was always criticized for having huge numbers of buttons, and Porsche has probably the same number of buttons in the same place. And I never really had a problem with it, but it can be overwhelming if you're not familiar with it. And I think Porsche kind of they they tried to take the controls that Sammy's talking about used to be on that console. Now they're on the steering wheel, and they're, they're that little that little round thing you're talking about. It just looks out of place, and it looks I, I'm sorry to say this, it looks a little low rent. So what's interesting is apparently they they got this like idea this concept this this interior design piece from the 918 spider which is a not, which is like a, a million dollar car so i don't know if it's the exact same part or if it's just the concept that they pulled from that car um but i you know what i didn't use it all too often the car is so good i don't understand why there's different drive modes i can understand actually i do understand why there's different, different drive modes the suspension can be quite harsh in the sportiest settings and uh is pretty usable in the normal settings um, the transmission as well can be really harsh and aggressive in those sporty sounds. You know, I'm just saying, I'm, I sound like an idiot. The sport modes are... You just like saying harsh and aggressive. It's, it's, the, the, just keep the, saying it over and over. <laughs> the sport modes are, are sharper, um, more are noticeable, har- more tactile. Are they harsher as well? Uh, and maybe more aggressive. And there's uh, like a certain harshness to the sport mode <laughs> that borders on aggression, I think. Um, so... It's such a fantastic car. I can't get over how well they've really nailed in all the aspects of this car. The steering is there. The grip is there. The comfort level is there when you want it to be. And it's also super uh, sharp and, and engaging when you want to to really play with this car. And uh, I'm 
really enthusiastic about this car, but there's one thing it really lacks, and it's a personality. And I had this conversation with you, I think, in the past. It feels like, I don't know, if if you if people know like superheroes, you know, like Superman. Superman can do anything. He can fly. He can burn people with his eyeballs. He can. He's like invincible, right? With the exception of kryptonite. Um, the 911 is like Superman. It can do all of these things. It has a very spacious trunk. You can put two, you know, um, or frunk. You can put two. Uh, what is it? What's the size I'm thinking of? Golf bags. Overhead cabin bags. Carry you know, on. Kind of, yeah, carry on bags. bags. In barbecue in the front. set. It's amazing. Not a barbecue set. <laughs> Um, and that's quite a lot of space. And there's rear seats for you can so you can throw some other junk back there as well. Or and it does it does have its kryptonite too though. Okay. And that, and that kryptonite is the rear engine placement. Okay. Well, I'll talk about that in a sec. Well, I didn't I didn't notice it. I pushed this car through some really windy roads. Um, it never felt like it was going to step out on me. These modern cars, the the modern 911s have dialed out that that characteristic so well. And again, I had an all wheel drive model. I had the extra wide tires. Um, I had, you know, all of these, uh, the, the Porsche attraction, um, management, I think it's called PTM or something like that. Um, and, or, and PASM, sorry, which is the adaptive suspension as well. Um, it is, it's really comfortable. It's super neutral. Um, it, is, it is, but what you're saying is it's interesting the way you describe it is they had to dial it out. It, it, it is an active engineering choice that they've made over the years to both keep the rear rear engine placement and then take extraordinary measures to get to the point where it doesn't feel like it has a rear engine unless you're on a racetrack. And if you are on a racetrack, you will notice it. And if you're a Porsche enthusiast, you're going to talk about polar moment of inertia, which allows you to um, initiate and follow through on a turn and accelerate out of a turn uh, harder than if you were in a front engine car. But if you're not an enthusiast and you have a more level-headed approach to to evaluating the vehicle, you're going to talk about how you can feel the mass behind you moving through a corner and how you have to deal with that either subconsciously in your mind or you know with the steering wheel and the accelerator. Okay, so my mistake, I, I called it PTM. It's actually PSM, which is Porsche Stability Management. And um, I have put this car on the track. And um, while I never put it on like the all off, everything off mode, um, I did have it in the sport mode where I, 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 I hate disagreeing with you, Ben, but I did not notice but that dis- much. Disagreements a, are the foundation of our podcast. Okay. Well, I will say that when I push it, and I, I didn't push it on a very, very big track or a very, a very high speed track, um, but a track with some really technical corners and I and some hard braking braking zones, and I never felt like the rear end was going to just come around on me. Um, on the other hand, I have been in some really really lightweight rear wheel uh, rear engined cars, uh, the the Ariel Atom, for example, and that was a handful. So I can imagine what people saw with the old 911s. That's what it was like. But with these modern ones, they seem to be so much more dialed in, so much more. Um, you know, technologically advanced so that they can accommodate for this weird engine placement. Well, if you were to drive the 911, I, I have nothing against the 911. I think it's a very good touring car. It's a very good GT car. And there are some very good sports car versions of the vehicle. Uh, obviously, it has a great racing pedigree. And um, there are people who are much better drivers than I am who prefer this car and, and make it their track weapon of choice. But mm-hmm. to me, when you drive a 911 back-to-back with a Cayman, you really see that's where you're really going to notice the engine placement. So you're right. The Cayman, uh, and I haven't spent a ton of time on, with the Cayman, but the Cayman has a very special. It's very neutral for people who are unsure of what they're what I'm talking about here. The Cayman has a mid-engined placement, uh, kind of like a supercar, and uh, but it's very lightweight all around. And uh, the 911 has a rear engine placement right over the rear wheels. Actually, maybe a bit further than that. Yeah, it's 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 behind the rear wheels. And um, it's a little bit heavier too. So the Cayman always feels like a really, really. It feels like a part of you. Which is uh, which is a weird thing, a weird thing to say, but when you're driving on your favorite road or you fa- you're driving on a track and the car disappears, it's a really transcending moment in terms of motoring. It is. But uh, pursuant to your point earlier about personality, I don't think the Cayman has a personality either. I don't think, I think the 911 has any. I, do, I really don't think the 911 has any personality. It, you're right, the Cayman has no personality. Porsche has taken all of the interesting parts of their cars. And like engineered them out, and now they're just very, very, very good cars. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're super like, good. It's like, a, like it's obvious it's, choices. You know what I mean? 
Well, it's it's a default uniform, right? I mean, yeah. you, you're a dentist, you open your practice, you buy 911. That's just what happens. But like, uh, I think it's a cliche to talk about it, but I, you know, the, the the cliche of the scalpel. It's it's a finely honed tool that does exactly what you need it to do. But unless you're Jack the Ripper, you're probably not passionate about your scalpel collection. <laughs> it's, That's right. I but that doesn't take away from the fact that it's truly an excellent tool and truly uh, precise, accurate. And does exactly what it was designed to do. And uh, it's kind of funny because you're starting to look at the vehicles that Porsche makes that have personality. And kind of, I don't know, maybe the Cayenne has a bit of personality because it's big and kind of weird. And the Panamera too, which is a totally bizarre (laughs) car. The the Sport Turismo, which is a four-door wagon, is crazy. It's such a bizarre car, right? And yet that's that seems, I think that you're, you're hitting it on the head using the word bizarre. It's just that, you know... The areas where Porsche is still learning, like they haven't totally, they haven't totally expunged the weirdness from the vehicle. That those are the cars that that have personality and that stick out in your mind. And I'm not saying that's good or bad, but it's definitely something to consider. I mean, you know, I was driving last year the the Alfa Romeo 4C Spider, which we've talked mm-hmm. about on the show. That is a car that is almost nothing but personality. Right. And I could never, ever recommend someone to buy that car over the Boxster, which is similarly priced and better in every single meaningful way. And yet I love the Alpha 4C. I yeah. absolutely adore it. And that's so – I like the Boxster a lot, but I would I would run away and and live on – you know, like we, we the, the Alpha 4C and I, we, we'd find a place with a beach – and we get a little bungalow, and maybe I would collect coconuts and I would sell them in the streets and I would bring them home to the four well, C the money at the end the of the right, day. Only if it has the right oral engagement. The yeah, nine eleven and we would be so happy, Sammy, just the two of us together there. And and I think the boxer would just never go for that lifestyle. The nine bring it back to the nine eleven. Um I I have such a it's it's like an iPhone. How about that? It's like a really easy choice to make for somebody who's like, you know what, I need to, I want a sports car. Um, I have this much money, and the 911. I can't say don't, don't get it. I mean, well, it's, it's never a bad choice. Exactly. So I don't want to come across as like a hater because it's such an easy default choice. But you go to any other car in its class, and you get something that's just a little bit extra. It's not as good, but you get a little something extra. So let's talk about 911 competitors. And I'm telling you, that's an entire class of vehicle. 911 killers. Um, the well, I, don't know if I wouldn't say killers because I think, as yeah. you said, I said in a you... private conversation with you, actually, every time uh, an automaker comes out with a new grand tour, uh, like a high performance sports car uh, in that 100 to 200 thousand dollar range, they the media immediately calls them, oh, it's the 911 competitor of the 911 killer. But the 911 has been around forever. And there's and like the, 25 different versions of the 911, too, which is and, which means someone can find what they want. And the only the only 911 killer is the next generation 911. <laughs> so, you know, if we go to Mercedes, the AMG GT, I think the C you can get for something around the price of this of this uh, 911 4S I was driving. It's not all wheel drive, but it has this incredible sounding um, V8 engine. Uh, it looks out of this world, and the interior has a lot of really in, unique design cues. I think that yeah, it's a very, and it's a very comfortable car. Yeah, like the 911 can be. I wouldn't call it probably as sharp as a 911 at their at their most you know track ready specs. But would you take an would you take an AMG GT over a 911? I don't know if I can make that. It's such a personal choice. What about the F Type? The F Type as well makes this fantastic noise it the f-type just brilliant. exudes it exudes personality but right. it also exudes character in the, in the weird stuff that it does like we talked about the wing that doesn't work yeah. and like the stereo system that kind of works although it's much better than it used to be um the you know the, it's it's the it, weight it, dynamics the the weight balance of that car is also bizarre too i think it's super uh, heavy up front and, I don't think uh, it's that heavy, although although you have to take into account the fact that the V6 is the same block as the V8 with two cylinders filled in. So, yes, <laughs> it is considerably more heavy than it needs to be. But, again, that's a financial decision made by a company that wanted to offer two different motors and wanted to be able to do that for a certain price. I so I can't – know that those, I didn't even know that that was the case of the, yeah. the engine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. It's And it, it saves a ton of money not just in development of the engine but in development of the – of the of the platform itself because the engine's the same size no matter what you can just put the it doesn't matter you just drop it in and it works but 
uh, you know they offer the four cylinder now, so that gives them a good entry level car. It's a gorgeous car. I think it looks much better than the 911, which is attractive but anonymous. <laughs> But um, it's not as sharp. It's not as like super engaging. It's not. But it's as, not like, meant perfect. to be. I, again, again, it's not a 911 killer. It's a 911 competitor, and it offers something. Yes, it offers something different, and I think that's important. It doesn't try to be a 911. Just like that AMG GT doesn't try to be a 911 either. It's you know how in the um the entry level luxury sedan segment, just a little bit of a of a, of a sidebar. But mm-hmm. remember when everyone wanted to be the BMW uh, 3 Series? Right. Like, every car company, uh, Mercedes even for a while, they were like, you know what? The C-Class is going to be as sporty and as engaging as the 3. And then Lexus tried to do it with the IS. And mm-hmm. Infiniti tried to do it with the G, although the G was just a little bit bigger. And none of it worked. It, it never worked. I think one of the only companies that didn't fall into that trap was Audi. Audi continued to make the A4 how they wanted to make it. It developed its own personality. And eventually, all those other manufacturers came back to the idea that, well, you know, we should probably do our own thing too. And I think that's made – it's a great for consumers because it gives you actual choice instead of buying a copy of a copy of a copy. Right. That's a great point. And so- and now with, with, these, with these sports cars, it, you also have great choice. I mean here's another 911 competitor, Corvette. Corvette. Yeah, I was going to bring that up too. It's way cheaper than what you drove in base form, yet has almost the same performance. And then when right. you step up to Z06 trim, you're looking at 911 turbo levels of performance. At nine, regular 911 prices. But it also comes with an interior that maybe is not as well executed. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, I find that the, the car is relatively easy to drive on a racetrack, but it does not have that. You're not going to find that all-wheel drive safety net if yeah, that's what you yep. want. Yep. I was going to bring and, that up as well. And you're also – it's not going to be as refined. Mm-hmm. It's not as refined a daily driver, although it's perfectly fine for, for commuting. You're not going to have any issues, but you'll notice a difference between that and the 911. So that's what I was uh, – that's what I it's, – it's a completely fun – it's a great discussion. I'm really glad that I'm, I brought it up on the, on the podcast because the sports cars are supposed to uh, allow – they're supposed to exude a personality for the driver. They're supposed to match your sort of driving style and make you have fun while you're doing it. But 911 – <clears throat> is capable of doing whatever it is that you want it to do, which is weird because there's so many other cars that just match personalities a little bit better. You know what I mean? Yeah, and uh, there's one more that I wanted to bring up: uh, the, the Nissan GTR, right? Which is kind of like the high-tech Japanese 911 mm-hmm. that hasn't really changed in what, eight years, I guess, mm-hmm. maybe more than that. It's also like a bajillion pounds heavier. <laughs> um, it has. What? It, it is super mechanical sounding. It has like an anonymous sound note, but it's a cheat code at the track, right? It just does – it like makes it, you it, irrelevant. But <laughs> it is engaging to drive in a way that I didn't think it was, and we've talked about that on the show in the past. So I think it's worth mentioning that that's, that's out there too. If you really want to be different and you don't care what other people think about you because you can't care if you buy a GTR because no one who buys a 911 is going to be impressed. I mean, if you're a badge snob, stay away from the GTR. But if you know if that's your jam for driving, then that's an entirely different story. And I, bring, I, brought, up the, I brought up the BMW i8 uh, last week, which yeah. I would consider as well It's same, in the same price category. It's in the same power class and performance numbers of this it's car. It's not in the same power class, though. It's, what, 350 horsepower? 350 horsepower, but 420 pound-feet of torque, which is on par with the horsepower numbers of the of the 911 uh, 4S. We, so, I mean, we've, I know the that past, those two things don't quite correlate, but the numbers are, are kind of there. I think that – I just think that the i8 is a different kind of buyer. I think that's a very unique buyer who's looking for that, for that exactly. Right. And I think that's, that's what I'm trying to say. There's a sports car at this level for anybody um, – and uh, the, the i8 fills a niche that the Porsche will never, ever be able to fulfill. It has so much design. It has so much design character. Um, it has a green uh, motive as well, and um, and it looks like it, it just sounds crazy too. So and we I mean, haven't we we haven't seen a 911 hybrid yet, which is to Porsche's credit. Uh, we have those hybrid versions of the Cayman, uh, sorry, the the Cayenne and the Panamera, mm-hmm. but uh, nothing for 911. They're still keeping that at bay. Um, the 918, no. also a hybrid. The, the, the apex of Porsche performance is electrically assisted, but the 911 is still not there. Right. I guess that'll happen. That's, it's only inevitable that it will happen, right? Well, I don't know because we've got the Mission E coming out, right? But that's going to be the, a full electric car. 
It's a full electric sedan, right? I believe it's a sedan. Mm-hmm. And uh, it'll be interesting to see whether that sparks its own coupe version and whether Porsche retains the 911 in, you know, gasoline-only form and allows an electric sports car to appear beside it. Because, you know, we, we talk a lot about tradition and history with the 911, but there was a point where Porsche was ready to wash their hands of the vehicle. And a big part of that was because... They thought that maybe they'd reached the end of what was possible with the rear engine design. They thought that uh, consumer tastes in America were changing and that a big V8-powered front-engine car would be more in tune with what people would buy. And mm-hmm. they came out with the 928. And the only reason the 911 stayed around is because enthusiasts and fans of the brand kicked up a huge fuss. And they made a big deal about the fact that we love the 911, don't ever change it, don't move the engine, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So this is a company that's not afraid to do different things. If I had the resources, I would love to try out those front-engined um, Porsches, Porsche sports cars, or Grand Tours, the, the 928 uh, and the 9... Is the 4.4? Is the 9.4.4 also uh, rear The 9.4.4 is front-edge. It's not really a tour. That, that, that's a pure sports car. Uh, the 9.4.4 and the 9.6.8 that came after it. Mm. Uh, I believe it's the 968. It's also the 951, which I think was the convertible version of the 944, 944, but uh, don't take my word for it. And there's also the horrible 924, which had an Audi engine in North America. Mm-hmm. Don't ever drive that. Um, but you know what? Talking about tradition, we should bring up one other thing on a different, on a completely different um, aspect. But, you know, the automaker, the Japanese automaker that has been recently uh, acquired by Nissan. Of course, I'm talking about Mitsubishi. Ben, <laughs> let's talk a moment. Let, let's try to stay awake and talk about Mitsubishi for a second. Wow. They're, they're going to bring out a new concept car in Tokyo, and I'm assuming LA as well, which is just shortly afterwards. It's going to be called the Evolution. Ben, what does Evolution in Mitsubishi mean to you? Well, to me, it, it ties into their homologated um, rally efforts. Right. From, from everything from WRC to Dakar. So the Lancer Evo was a really interesting car that really, I guess it's, you know, I said this before to you off the podcast. I said it spoke to enthusiasts, um, but you said nobody bought them, which is why they killed it off. It is why they bought, it is why they killed it off. And it, it was an expensive car mm-hmm. for that never really changed. I mean, we had, in North America, we had the 8, the 9, and the 10. And then the, when the 10 hit, I don't know what, well, Mitsubishi lost its way, basically. There was no product development and honestly hasn't really been much product development for a decade from that company now. Mm -hmm. And we had the Mitsubishi Evolution 10 that stayed relatively the same for that entire period of time while all of its competitors got a lot better. That's right. And there were also older Evo cars as well. Um, I'm trying to think of the the other bigger sedan. Uh, I think had an Evolution product. I can't quite remember what it's I called. I think you're talking about the Galant VR4, which was sort of like an Evo, but not really. No, it, it wasn't actually given that name. My mistake. There's a, I, There might have been an, an Evo version of the Mirage. Can can someone out in the audience add <laughs> us about that? But um, my, my favorite version of the Evo, well, not my favorite version, because I really love the Evo 6. I, I remember watching, uh, there's this movie from France called Taxi. Mm-hmm. And um, in the second Taxi, the the evil bad guys are all driving Evo 6s, and it's amazing. Uh, and I'd never seen those cars because it was the 90s in North America. We didn't have them. Um, and uh, Jackie Chan was also a, bi- a big uh, oh, cinematic yes. hero of I remember mine. This. Yeah, he has his own version of the Evo. Mm-hmm. He has his own special model, and uh, he has had a long re- relationship with Mitsubishi, and he made a bunch of movies with Evos in them. Anyway, all that to say that the, the, the Evo Sedan is very cool, and I've always wanted one, but I also like... The Pajero, Pajero? I'm saying it wrong. Pajero? I used to call it the Pajero, but I know what you're talking about. It's an SUV. It is an SUV, and not only that... It's like an FJ Land Cruiser. Yeah, it's it's a very capable off-road vehicle, and in the 90s, (laughs) Mitsubishi was like, you know what? We want to dominate the Dakar Rally, the Paris to Dakar Rally, which Mm -hmm. is still, when they run it, the most grueling form of off-road racing. And so they built an Evo version of the Pajero, Piero, whatever. And uh, they had to sell, I think, 2,500 or 1,500 versions in order to enter. And then when they entered, they didn't just win. They dominated. They destroyed. They covered, uh, I believe they covered 10,000 kilometers in 18 days. And they finished five hours before their next competitor in, uh, in 1998. So not only did they win their class, where they took the top three spots in the entire rally. <laughs> They beat everyone. Well, they, they've won. They've won half 
nearly half of every Dakar rally they've entered. 15 out of 32 events. So the the ev- the evolution name always ties in with the success that, that Mitsubishi has had um, off the road, um, literally in off road rally racing, and the the rally racing with the uh, the answer evolution. So if you're going to make a new Mitsubishi evolution. What would it be like? And you have now you have the resources from Nissan of all companies to help you out with this. And that's another well, car company with some really interesting uh, philosophies and and, and performance. Um, I don't I don't think parts. that's fair to say because you don't really have those resources because you just got bought by Nissan and car development is what a two to five year process at best. So all the products we're going to see coming out of Mitsubishi now have been on the burner for quite a while. Okay, but this is a but this is a concept, not a not an actual car. So maybe okay, well, it's show. it's still still it's a concept that you know Nissan had no part in. Okay, so then which, I'll which just... means which means it might be irrelevant. But c- c- continue continue to tell us about the concept. The concept will, as far as I understand, has uh, is a hybrid crossover. Uh, it will have three high torque and high performance electric motors, and um, We'll have um, active yaw control, which is their fancy name for torque vectoring. And there's also going to be an AI system because every concept car nowadays has um, artificial intelligence, right? <laughs> I'm going to make a non-controversial statement and say that every concept car these days is a hybrid crossover. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's a crossover exactly. It looks kind of crossovery. It looks a lot like their Eclipse Cross, but maybe a little bit lower. And that's another car that they took the, uh, a really, you know... A name that had um, cachet with with enthusiasts and Mitsubishi former Mitsubishi owners, um, and they kind of ruined it by putting it on a crossover. And well, I think they also they also kind of ruined it by not developing the car for yes another decade, which is kind of yeah. what happened to the Eclipse. And this Evo seems like a really missed a, a really odd um, thing to see happen. And I really hope that they 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 put a performance oriented twist to it, but I don't know if that's the, if that's going to be the case. I can't really fault a car company for building cars people want to buy, mm. and everyone wants to buy crossovers and SUVs, and until that stops, this is what we're going to be getting. That's just, It's just that simple. Okay. You know who wants to buy a really fancy uh, SUV? Our good friend, Chef Jamie Oliver. What do you think of that guy? I, I'm moderately familiar with this person. He's British, right? <laughs> yes. Um, he is so cool that Jaguar Land Rover Special Vehicles Operation uh, decided to give him a car that's specially, specially made for him. And uh, what would you think would be in a chef's specialty car? I think a chef's specialty car would have, like, Batman-style gadgets sprinkled throughout the entire car, except these gadgets don't fight crime. They make food. That's so in exactly my mind, what this car is. That's exactly so, what So tell is. me, so tell me, does this car have a toaster in the armrest? It really does. It's right there in the in the center, you know, arm area, just next to the armrest. There's a toaster. And um, and, and that that's, that's that's amazing. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Does it have wheels that churn butter? <laughs> yes, it does. The, oh, all wow. four wheels can churn butter. Wow, that that that's amazing. Does it have a spice drawer? Mm-hmm. A spice rack in the back. Yep. One of the, um, I believe, one of the um, windows, the rear windows by the, um, what is that there? The D pillar has uh, is also a fresh herb uh, compartment where it's it's. This is amazing. It, it, this is like drawn right from my imagination. This this, uh, wait, it, Sammy, does it have a salt and pepper grinder? That looks like the shifter, except when you shift it to P, you don't get park, you get pepper. And when you shift it to S, you don't get speed, you get salt. And when you shift it to N, you don't get neutral, but you get nothing? (laughs) Yep, this is all perfect. This is all exactly what it is. Let me tell you, in the grill is a rotisserie, um, like a rotisserie for chicken that that you can just grill with. So you can grill with the grill. Uh, the back. Yo, dog. We heard yeah. you like grills. Taking, taking a taking concept, taking ideas straight from exhibits show. Exactly. This is. I mean, I hope he's getting a royalty. <laughs> um, I also especially love the. Uh, there's an ice cream maker in it. There's ice an, cream maker. Yep. There's an a slow cooker in there. There's, is there jam storage behind the climate controls with three pots and one jam knife? That's exactly what there is. Absolutely, right there. It fits perfectly. Um, and there's also the 
what was I going to, what was I going to, there's also a table, a dining room table at the back of the car that pulls out kind of like uh, one of those fancy extending tables. Isn't this kind of bizarre? I think that this is the single best thing <laughs> this that is a, a chef who doesn't own a kitchen and lives in their car could hope for. There is a living herb garden <laughs> inside the right rear window that accommodates up to eight herb plants. And if you pop the hood on the car, there is a five-quart capacity <laughs> slow cooker. Perfect. For you. I wonder if all this stuff works while you're driving. Well, I, it suggested the word slow cooker suggests to me a diesel engine. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my favorite things. I love when an auto – you know, you and I both know when, a, when an automaker, like, thinks outside the box and does something really bizarre that it's actually kind of fun. And this is something that it looked like they had some fun with. And all of this seems to be functional. Um, <laughs> there's some stuff that, like, I kind of don't get how it would work. Like, like the, there's a – the, the olive, olive oil, oil and vinegar. <laughs> so at the back of the car, near that pop-out range, there's a. It's like a. It's like you'd reach down from this, reach up to the ceiling and pull down this tube, and it's filled with olive oil. And instead of like having a spout, it has turn signal indicators and like windshield washer buttons. And there's a picture of Jamie Oliver holding it in his hand, and it just <laughs> kind of looks like it's like a Mad Max future situation where he didn't have any parts and he he he, he tore apart this Land Rover and made a kitchen with the turn signal stock. And, so I don't know. Yeah, and there's also a, uh, what is this, a grinder as well? Is that what, what this is coming out of the hood, out of the grill? Uh, like no, a, that's that's the that's the grinder. rotisserie. That's the rotisserie. They, they also have a pasta cutter. Oh, that's what it is. Yep. Yeah, so it, it's behind the badge. You can yep. either hold three average chickens or one turkey and a leg of lamb, or you can cut pasta. Or you could cut the face off of a desert, a post-apocalyptic Mad Max type attacker. This is my favorite thing. I want to live in it and around it. It's I, I uh, Kudos to Land Rover for making something really interesting right here. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of the time when ca car companies, they decide to do this kind of outlandish and, and amusing concept, mm -hmm. it's like a design exercise where you get, you'll get you get a spreadsheet that has all this stuff in it, and they'll send you drawings of what it could look like. Right. But they actually built it. They actually built this vehicle. And there's a great quote. <laughs> From uh, David Fairbairn, who's the head of Bespoke at SVO, the Special Vehicle Operations at, at Land Rover Jaguar, or Jaguar Land Rover, sorry. And he says, quote, as a team, we never imagined we would be asked to produce wheels that churn butter. <laughs> you know what? It's even funnier because <laughs> Jamie Oliver himself goes, I didn't think they'd actually be able to put a slow cooker next to the engine <laughs> and an olive oil dispenser in the rear storage space. But they did. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? That that makes me think the conversation between Oliver and David Fairbairn was he like Oliver probably didn't take it seriously when they first came yeah. to him. Yeah, and he was like, like he just joke. started thinking of ridiculous stuff like, oh, yeah, and it has to have a slow cooker in the engine bay. And like Fairbairn's furiously writing this down on his side of the phone, super serious. And Oliver's kicking back and he's like. Oh yeah, and I want I want you know like when you push the windshield wiper thing, I want olive oil to come out instead of washer fluid. Can you do that? Yeah. Uh, Jaguar Land Rover, and they were like, we could do anything you want, <laughs> and anything at all. Look, I really need fresh butter all the time. Is there any way we can you know churn butter? I mean, if there's extra you know cylinders that we can use on the car to churn butter, I don't know the wheels, and they're like. That's a great idea. That's great. Let's write this I'm down. a little I'm a little disappointed that they didn't take the the opportunity to fill those two rear cylinders in the in the V6 versions of this vehicle <laughs> with some kind of like I don't know uh, pastry maker perhaps or bread oven and you could get perfectly round uh, 0.2 liters yeah rolls they, they just pop out yeah. like <laughs> what's also funny is if you look at the pictures and I wish you could see pictures but the the beauty of podcasts is you can't. So we have to try our best to uh, to describe it here. So there's there's this, the toaster is like legit right in front of the center console, like right where you put your the armrest. And then there's the toaster. It's right there. What if you drop your keys in the toaster <laughs> while you're driving? You're not supposed to put anything metal in a toaster, and I can't imagine there's a lot of safety involved when you you also have a rotisserie and a churn butter churner in the car. I mean. I'd have to think that sparks would fly. <laughs> um, you know what? There's actually a cover for it, which I thought was really funny. So I guess you can't. Well, you're going like, to lose that. You're going to lose that in the first week. <laughs> uh, 
Um, you know what? We were think I was thinking of other times that there was like an automaker like tried to do something like this, and one of the and like fell flat. I think in LA Auto Show, the Lexus had the Sriracha IS. Oh yeah, I remember that. And all they did was just fill the trunk with uh, with Sriracha, and they're like, "Here yeah. it is." So that's not a Jamie Oliver's level. If yeah. They pulled up with like with like a trunk filled with olive oil. That's not how he rules. He would have been like, well, how am I going to squirt this? With a, there's no button to squirt it. And then they were like, oh, yeah, okay. And back to the drawing board. And they really they, they really well executed this concept or a series of concepts, I guess. It is one of my favorite things that I've seen in the industry um, this, uh, this past week, for sure. And surprisingly not from Audi. So, Audi, you got to step up your game. Yeah. We need some type of active food management system uh, concept to be coming out. Tokyo Motor Show's on its way. You still have a little bit of time. Let, let's make it happen. Hell, even SEMA's coming up. Yeah, and SEMA's where you get to see all sorts of crazy uh, dreams become automotive dreams become uh, somewhat <laughs> reality. And it's the perfect place to tag in Exhibit yeah. and get him on board. Yeah. I mean, he's probably available. <laughs> And uh, with that, we might lose our subscription from Exhibit, which is a shame, but um, I think I'm going to call it a podcast, and we can tell the rest of our listeners where they can find us and other photos for the, from this podcast. You can find us Wait, at oh, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. Yeah, that's the place, exactly. Um, and you can subscribe there um, as well as get the links to our iTunes page and our Google Play music page. Uh, and you could also show up on our Facebook page, Unnamed Automotive Podcast. On Facebook, we can put a lot of pictures up there, show you all of this Jamie Oliver goodness, mm -hmm. which we will do once this goes live. And uh, it's also a good idea to check that page out every once in a while because you can see where Sammy and I are in the world doing fun and cool car-related stuff. You can also tweet us at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing, or at Hunting Benjamin. And Sammy, where are you going next week? Next week, I'm actually on my way to Valencia, Spain to check out the new Audi A8. So a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about the Lexus LS, which is a flagship sedan. The A8 is a German flagship sedan and frequently said to be probably the, the pinnacle of Audi's um, design and engineering. What about you? What are you up to this, this coming week? Uh, next week, I will be driving the Mercedes-Benz, sorry, the Mercedes-AMG E43, which is the uh, somewhat sporty version of their midsize E-Class sedan. Not the all-the-way sporty one, but the somewhat. No, the somewhat, the mid-range sporty one, now that we're getting tricky about sportiness. I will also be on the track in the Datsun, my Datsun 280Z, for the last event of the year mm -hmm. at New Hampshire Motor Speedway, and I'm looking forward to that. I, I had a good track event last week. Everything held together for the first time this year at uh, Club Motor motorsport in tamworth it was a lot of fun um even when i shifted from uh second gear to first gear and terrifying terrible <laughs> happened well you know it's it's an it's it's probably seen worse it's a 40 year old engine so that was that was a good time all right so thank you everybody for listening and uh we look forward to catching up with you next week and um if you have any questions feel free to send them our way we're definitely open to it all goodbye